0: No other book has so profoundly impacted so many lives as the Bible. Welcome to Simply the Bible,
1: the Through the Bible teaching program of Pastor Daryl Zachman of Calvary Chapel, Treasure Valley. Today we see where Job continues his reply to his friend Eliphaz. He considers his bitter, brief, and hopeless life, and in his anguish he complains against God. We hope you'll join us as Pastor Daryl continues in Job chapter 7 on Simply the Bible.
0: Job's friend Eliphaz had accused Job of sinning. This was the reason he was suffering now. God was chastening him. Job's response was that the arrows of the Almighty had come against him. His one request now was that he could die. We continue in Job chapter 7. Is there not a time of hard service for man on earth? Are not his days also like the days of a hired man? Like his servant who earnestly desires the shade, and like a hired man who eagerly looks for his wages. Life is hard and then you die. That was Job's conclusion. But who could blame him? None of us have experienced the extremes Job experienced. None of us have reached Job's level of wealth notoriety and blamelessness before God, and none of us have ever experienced the level of suffering that Job experienced. In a single day, he went materially bankrupt. His servants died, and the house fell on his ten children, killing them all. After this, he was struck with painful, oozing boils from the bottom of his feet to the top of his head, His wife told him to curse God and die, and now his friend accused him of wrongdoing. Surely, he must be responsible for these great calamities. It's the reverse of the song in The Sound of Music where Maria sings to Captain Von Trapp, I must have done something good. Job's friends point the finger at him and say, you must have done something bad job gives the illustration of a hired man doing hard service when i was 15 years old my summers were transformed my dad was a bricklayer and he declared to me that i would now be his hod carrier meaning that i would provide him with everything he needed to put the bricks in the wall working in triple digit temperatures in the hot sacramento sun Believe me, I was ready for the end of the day to come when we would sit in the shade and enjoy an ice-cold Coke. Each morning at 6 o'clock, I dreaded his loud, booming voice waking me up. But I loved Friday, quitting time, when I would receive my paycheck. I had never received so much money at once. Joe compared this laborer's desire for shade and wages With his attitude about life, his life had become such hard time that he couldn't wait for the shade of death and the wages of his everlasting reward. Job was miserable and pleaded with God to end his life, but he would never take his own life. "'So I have been allotted months of futility, and wearisome nights have been appointed to me. When I lie down, I say, when shall I arise?' and the night be ended. For I have had my fill of tossing till dawn. My flesh is caked with worms and dust. My skin is cracked and breaks out afresh. You know, it's amazing how empowering it is to be engaged in work that you enjoy. It gives you a reason to get up in the morning. But what if you can't perform anymore? This is one of the many reasons people are so restless right now to get back to work in the wake of the coronavirus. We must feel useful. We can't sit at home very long without feeling useless. And people who feel useless soon feel hopeless. For months, Job had experienced this futility and feeling of worthlessness. Here we see that it had been months since he lost everything. Not only were Job's days futile, but his nights were wearisome, not because he had labored to exhaustion in the hot sun, but because he was in such painful misery that it drained the life out of him. What's more, he couldn't sleep because he was in so much pain. Have you ever watched the clock tick all night, hoping morning will soon arrive? It is miserable to toss and turn through a sleepless night. Job's skin was caked with worms and dust. He likely couldn't bathe because of his condition, and maggots were feeding on the pus of his running sores. This was a harbinger of when he knew his body would soon be six feet under, buried in dirt, and eaten by worms. Poor Job had become a living death before his time. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle, and are spent without hope. Oh, remember that my life is a breath. My eye will never again see good. The eye of him who sees me will see me no more. While your eyes are upon me, I shall no longer be, as the cloud disappears and vanishes away. So he who goes down to the grave does not come up. He shall never return to his house." nor shall his place know him anymore. The weaver's shuttle spools the yarn swiftly through the loom. It's an apt description of the swiftness or brevity of Job's life. Day after week after month went by and nothing had been accomplished. Job's life had become utterly futile and unsatisfying, and now he's convinced he will never see good again. This reminds me of Jacob's situation after Joseph had been gone for 20 years. Simeon was imprisoned in Egypt, and now the prime minister of Egypt wanted Jacob's sons to bring back their brother Benjamin. Of course, Jacob had no way of knowing that the prime minister was in fact his favored son, Joseph, but Jacob vented his anguish to his boys. You have bereaved me. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And you want to take Benjamin? All these things are against me. Likewise, Job concluded that everything was against him, and he would never see good again. But of course, as with Jacob, that was not the case. There was a light at the end of this long, dark tunnel. But if Job could have seen it, he would have surmised that it was a train coming to run him over. Job knew that It was just a matter of time. His life would soon vanish as a cloud in the sky or the wisp of the mist that comes from my wife's essential oil diffuser. Job's experience taught him that the one who exits this life never returns for an encore. After his final breath, he would never be seen again. Therefore, I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Up to this point, Job had restrained himself. When everything went wrong, rather than cursing God or sinning with his lips, he said, The Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He told his wife, Shall we receive good from the Lord and not bad? Even when Job's friends came to comfort him, he didn't say a word for seven days. Today, I see people who, when somebody says anything against them, rather than going to the person privately and working it out, immediately they vent their anger on Facebook for all the world to see. Where is the self-restraint? There is none. Their mouths are wide open doors for whatever is in their hearts. But what does James say? If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. In effect, Job said, I'm done restraining my speech. Now I will give full vent to my anguish and bitterness. This is a pivotal statement because now Job will voice his grievances to the Almighty. Am I a sea or a sea serpent that you set a guard over me? When I say my bed will comfort me, my couch will ease my complaint. Then you scare me with dreams and terrify me with visions, so that my soul chooses strangling and death rather than my body. I loathe my life. I would not live forever. Let me alone. For my days are but a breath. What is man that you should exalt him? that you should set your heart on him, that you should visit him every morning and test him every moment. How long will you not look away from me and let me alone till I swallow my saliva? Have I sinned? What have I done to you, O watcher of men? Why have you set me as your target? So that I am a burden to myself, Why then do you not pardon my transgression and take away my iniquity? For now I will lie down in the dust, and you will seek me diligently, but I will no longer be. Beginning in verse 12, Job directs his complaint now to God. Am I a sea serpent that you set a guard over me? You scare me with dreams. Leave me alone. What is man that you should exalt him? This reminds me of Psalm 8, which compares man's insignificance with God's almighty power. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained... What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. But here Job turns this all on its heels. The psalmist says, What is man that you are mindful of him? crowning him with glory and honor and giving him dominion over creation. But Job says, What is man that you should set your heart on him and test him every moment? And yet, even in this, God exalts man. We have no evidence that God tests the amoeba, but he certainly tests us. He feeds the sparrows and he cares for us, for we are worth more than many sparrows. Indeed, God has set his heart on humans because we are made in his image. But does he set his heart on us to ruin us or to redeem us? We can understand how Job, at this point in his life, would conclude that God's attention was for his ruin rather than his redemption. But later on, Job would also say, for I know that my Redeemer lives and he shall stand at last on the earth, and after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. What we see in Job is a man who is wrestling with his doubts, but he is honestly wrestling with them. He doesn't have all the answers, unlike his three friends who seem to have it all together. They appear to have absolute knowledge of why Job is suffering. They are absolutely certain, but Absolutely wrong. Job, on the other hand, is uncertain about many things, but in his grappling, he comes to true enlightenment. Job, in all his trials, proves to be a man whose character runs a mile deep, even though at times he will darken the truth with words without knowledge. Job would repent of his sins if only he knew what they were, but now he couldn't understand why God wouldn't forgive him and let it go. Therefore, Job wanted God to look away from him and let him die swiftly. But if God did that, then Job would never come to see the blessings the Lord had in store for him. You see, God waits to be gracious to the objects of his mercy, and we can be certain in the heart of this crisis that in a little while God will be gracious to us. Therefore, let us continue to trust in Him and not lose hope.
1: You've been listening to Simply the Bible, the the through-the-Bible teaching program of Pastor Daryl Zachman of Calvary Chapel, Treasure Valley. For more information about our church, please visit our website at calvarytv.org. To listen to other episodes, go to 941thevoice.com Or check out our iTunes podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please contact us through our website. Tomorrow, we'll see where Job's second friend, Bildad, presents his case against Job. Bad things happen to bad people. Only the good receive blessings. But where is the gospel in this? We hope you'll join us as we continue in the book of Job on Simply the Bible.